0: Everyone, welcome to church. Great to see you today. Thank you for being friendly with your neighbors. My name is Otto Ramos. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, and it's my great privilege to welcome you to church today. Welcome also to those of you joining us online. It's great to have you. If you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church, you can certainly do that. Um, And the way that you do that is by taking one of those communication cards that you can find on the seat back in front of you, and you can fill that out. And Afterwards, if you could come by our welcome center and say hello to us, we have a free gift for you just for joining us this morning. For those of you joining us online, if you could go to our website at vlchurch.com, click on the banner that says, Are you new here? Fill out the form. That'll come straight to me, and I will communicate with you sometime this week. But indeed, thank you for joining us as well. I do have a few announcements and reminders that I'd like to share with you uh, this morning. The first of which is the fact that we have our Pursue Night that's coming up this Friday. It's a worship night. We have these probably once every three or four months, and we invite you to bring you and your family. It's going to be a great night of worship and pursuing God, spending some time in prayer together, and being very intentional about all of those things. And so it's going to start this Friday night at 7 p.m., and then afterwards, we're going to have some family fun together. We're going to have some food. We're going to have some pizza. We're going to play some games, and it's going to be a great evening. And so we hope that you'll join us this Friday night at 7 p.m. for Pursue Night. Uh, Next, I want to make mention of the fact that we do have life groups that are ongoing, and uh, a few are going to be starting up in the next few weeks as well. And so please, if you haven't joined one, you can do that by scanning the QR code that is on your key tag that you received a couple of weeks ago, or you can go to our website and sign up, or you can just call the church office. If you don't like using smart technology, just uh, give us a phone call. We'll get you signed up. We'd love to have you at one of our life groups that that are going on here in the next few weeks. That's all I have this, this morning in the way of announcements. If you've come to worship the Lord with your tithes and offerings, you likely know what to do and how to do it. Uh, you can go online to do that at vlchurch.com backslash give, or you can give via text, or you can give as you exit the sanctuary this morning. But indeed, thank you for worshiping the Lord Jesus with your tithes and offerings today. i going to ask you to stand this morning, and as you do so, let's bow for a word of prayer together. Father God, what a privilege to come into this place to worship you. You came into this world to meet us where we are, to take us where you wanted us to be. And that is one reason, among so many others, that we've come to worship you now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's worship.
1: i Zeit,
2: who is seated on the throne today and he is in charge this morning he is crowned with justice truth mercy and love and i thank god for that this morning because those are things i need in my life i need him to be in charge i need his set apartness and his holiness to be the path by which i lead my life and so this morning i thank him for his holiness Is seated on the throne, and he has that crown of justice, truth, mercy, and love on him. He is the boss. He is in charge. Yet he sent his son, Jesus, so that we could be reunited with the boss, the one who is in charge. And this morning, there's many responses we can have to that, but one of the best responses we can have is a spirit of surrender. And that comes in many different forms. It can come from lifted hands. It can come from bent knees. Or it can come from bowed hearts. But the best response is a spirit of surrender to the Lord. He said, well, I surrendered to the Lord long ago. No. Surrender happens daily. To tell him he's in charge daily. That he sits on the throne of our life. That happens daily. So my encouragement this morning is not for the person who's been a Christian for one week, although it is, but it's for the pastor sitting in the front row. It's for the elders sitting throughout the room. It's for the worship team on the platform. It's for the Christian who's been a Christian for 70 years and the one who's been a Christian for one week. This morning, I encourage you youth and you children to allow yourself to be surrendered to the Lord, to allow yourself Surrendered to the one who is crowned with justice, truth, mercy, and love. Let's lay our crowns at his feet this morning and give him the honor.
3: sing that one more time this morning just the voices cuz he's so worthy of our praise
2: You may be seated. This morning, before we transition into our next part of service, I just wanted to share Pastor Peter has prepared a video for us this morning that you're going to see in just a moment. So please turn your attention to the screen.
4: Engage trained students for a life of Kingdom work through its international trips. We believe that it is absolutely critical for the development of every kingdom worker to engage God in a culture that is different than their own at some point in their life. The training on these trips includes seven missional principles which allow the students to understand how to engage as kingdom workers, both at home and abroad on every engage international trip we train students to understand that the church matters no matter how many people are there or how outdated it might seem the church has and always will be God's plan for the redemption and restoration of the entire world observation before interpretation carries with it the idea that instead of coming in with your own assumptions that people act and think just like you do you begin to ask why and allow people to tell their own story Cultures are beautiful and broken. This means that a culture cannot only be defined by its worst moments or even by just its best moments. Every culture has beautiful parts and broken parts. Do things with, not for people means coming into a missions situation and not saying this is what we're going to do and how we're going to do it because I know best. Instead, it means coming alongside people who are already doing God's work. We teach that missions is a lifestyle, which means missions isn't just about the trip you're going on or the service project that you're participating in. Missions is an everyday, every moment kind of living. Poverty is Everywhere carries with it the idea that on some level, we are all poor. And while we might not be poor in the same way, In some ways we're rich, in other ways we're poor, we can help each other in a mutual, beneficial way that I can give to you where you are lacking and you can give to me where I am lacking. We train students with the principle that God is already working, meaning He's already present wherever you're going and wherever you are. So it's our job to partner with Him in the work that He's doing so that He gets glorified. Engage. Training for a Life of Kingdom Work.
5: Well, I hope you enjoyed that video. You can put together the context clues there. We will be doing a youth mission trip, um, and that's what that video was about. Um, So it's the first time in like 20 years, so I've been told, uh, that the youth have done a mission trip, and we're very excited. We're going to be going to Honduras. Uh, It'll be next summer from July 6th to the 13th. Uh, And there is an info meeting, both for youth who are interested in coming and for their parents, uh, and that'll be next Sunday, October 1st. Um, So we'd love to have you come out to that. It'll be right after second service, uh, and you'll be able to hear more about that opportunity. So I just had a difficult conversation with a family member, and hurtful words were said on both sides. There were lots of big emotions, and I was very upset. I tend to be a fairly emotional dude. I'm, uh, I'm no John Wayne. Uh, I'm more, a little bit more like Eeyore when... Uh... Oh, my fault. I forgot to release the children. Newbie pastor mistake. Uh, so, young disciples, you can go to a more interesting service for you. Sorry about that. Um, so I tend to be a little bit more like Eeyore if I am upset, right? My mom used to sing this song when, she was, uh, when I was young. She would say, nobody loves me, everybody hates me, guess I'll go eat worms, right? That was a song that she would sing when, when I was little if I or if she was sad, and it was intended to kind of just keep the sadness in perspective, right, to make light of it. Uh, but that's how I felt in that moment. That's how I felt. I felt pretty discouraged. I felt depressed. And so um, in that moment, my wife said, let's call our life group. And so she did. And our whole life group gathered at the church and just spent some time together. The guys and I played a sport, and we talked about what had happened. And the girls uh, and the, the kids got together in one of the children's ministry rooms, and they, they talked as well. So these were families They had busy schedules, bedtimes, things going on, but they came. All of them came because they could see that we were hurting. Nothing had changed about the family situation when I left that day, but we felt lighter. Another quick story about my life group. Uh, When it was my first Sunday here and I was getting commissioned as a pastor, they knew that it was a pretty big deal for me. Uh, that I'd been working toward that for almost a decade, uh, and so they were here in the service to show their support. If you're from a Christian background, you may have heard the word fellowship, and you might think of like potluck dinners with mysterious crockpot concoctions. <laughs> or if you have a Baptist background, you might think of the fellowship hall where people hang out after church and eat grapes, Right? But for me, when I think of fellowship, I think of my life group. I think of the people that I've been doing life with for the past six years. Whether it was births or deaths, new jobs, new homes, confronting one another about sin, praying for one another, confessing, encouraging one another. Those are my people, the people that I've been doing life with. They're like family to me. The Lord has used them in all kinds of ways in my life. That that fellowship, it has been deep. It's been life transforming. It's been robust. And now that I've experienced that kind of fellowship, I can't imagine going without it. I can't imagine choosing to just not have that. It's become an essential part of how I follow Jesus. I think you'll see, as we look at our passage today, that what the early church, what Jesus, what the disciples had in mind when they thought of fellowship was so much more than occasional Sunday morning attendance, was so much more than sometimes going to a potluck, and that if we settle for less, if we settle for less than what uh, Scripture teaches us that fellowship is, we miss out on one of the richest gifts that the Christian life has to give to us. So we're going to look at Acts 2, verses 42 to 47 today. And in this passage, the church has just started being the church. They've just started to gather together, right? So Jesus has, has died and has gone up to heaven The disciples get together at his instruction in Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit comes and fills them. And Peter, the disciple, gets up and he gives a sermon. And then we're told that 3,000 people in one day come to faith. So the church was 120 people. After that sermon, it was 3,120. They had 3,000 people to disciple. How would they do that? How would they assume that this is the default way? This is the, this is the, the definite way. We're going to do church just like Jesus taught us to do church. How would they do it? So we'll see here in Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. And awe came upon every soul, And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what if I came up to here today and I said, I have a special announcement for you. We want to invite you to sell your house and your car and some of your other major possessions to to provide for some financial needs in our community? What if I said, we're going to put you in a group, we're going to try and make it so you don't know anyone in that group, and you have nothing in common with any of them, and then we're going to tell you to meet with them all the time? Right? Some of you are like, I'm going to find a new church, that's what I'm going to do. Well, before you start heading toward the exits or calling me a communist, it was not communism. It was voluntary giving. But before you do either of those things, before you do either of those things, I want to assure you that's not a real announcement. But I do think it's instructive for us to look at what it meant for them to do fellowship. What did it look like? Well, in verses 42 and 43, there's nothing shocking. It says that they, uh, they focused on passing on the teaching of Jesus, right? They were devoted to the apostles' teaching that had been passed on to them by Jesus, that they prayed together. It also says that they practiced the breaking of bread, and that refers to communion, So if you don't have a a Christian background, communion is a ritual that we do. We did it last week here in our church. Communion is a ritual where we eat a little piece of bread, we drink a little bit of juice, and it's a way of remembering what Jesus did for us, that he died on the cross for our sins. And so when it says the breaking of bread, it's talking about a very specific uh, time where you're consuming something. And so it's saying they practice communion. So teaching of Jesus the breaking of bread. They pray together. Verse 43 says that miracles happened, but even that, that's not very shocking because Jesus did miracles all the time, and these were his disciples leading this church. No, the shocking part comes in verses 44 and 45. That's where it says that they were together, they had everything in common, and they sold things and gave. Two shocking things here. First, they were extremely generous. Extremely generous, right? We find out later that when when he's talking about they sold things, he means they sold land, right? So Barnabas owns some land, and he sold that. I looked up what would it cost to buy a piece of land right now in Stowe. It's anywhere from $70,000 to $300,000. He just up and sold that and said, here, I don't care what you do with it. Give it to whoever has need. That's quite a generous gift, right? F.F. Bruce, the Bible scholar, he says it this way. He says, members regarded their private estates as being at the community's disposal. Why? Well, I think it was a response to the radical generosity of Jesus, right? It was expensive for Jesus to come down from being beside God the Father and live a human life. It was expensive for him to spend 33 years here giving us an example and and teaching us about God's truth. It was expensive for him to go to the cross. And so in response to the generosity of Jesus for the early church, it was only natural to be generous with their financial resources to meet the needs of others in the community. Not only that, but Jesus and the disciples had shared a common purse, right? They had pooled their resources. Whoever had a need, they would share that common uh, source of money. And so the disciples were just living out the example that Jesus had given them, that we're generous, that we share, that we provide for each other. So the first bit that was shocking was their financial generosity. The second bit that was shocking has to do with where it says that they were together and they had everything in common. So uh, this is shocking because if you look at the Pentecost crowd, they were from all over. Okay, This crowd that just became believers that we're talking about, they were from all over because Pentecost was a holiday. And so it drew people from all over the world. And so if you look at the beginning of Acts 2, you've got uh, Jews, Gentiles, Egyptians, Parthians, Libyans, Arabs, Cretans, Romans, people who would very recently probably have fought wars against each other. And now they get exposed to the gospel, they get exposed to the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden... They have everything in common. All of a sudden, they were together. You also had other kinds of diversity there. You had socioeconomic diversity, right? You had people who had the ability to just sell off some land that would be upper class. And then you had people who uh, were from the lower class, who had urgent financial needs, right? Maybe because they'd been ostracized for their Christian faith. So you have people from all over the world, you have people from all different socioeconomic statuses, and they were together, and they had everything in common. They go from strangers to those who are together. How does that happen? You may have heard the expression that the ground is level at the foot of the cross, If you haven't heard it, the basic idea of the expression is that everybody comes to Jesus needing the same amount of salvation, needing the same amount of grace, needing the same amount of forgiveness. It doesn't matter how wealthy you were growing up, it doesn't matter what country you're from. We all need Jesus. And so there's a leveling that happens because of the gospel. There's a leveling that happens because of the gospel. They were doing life together. They were able to connect. They had something in common, and what was in common was greater than what would have pulled them apart. Their fellowship was so much more than the occasional potluck dinner. It was so much more than attending a few Sunday services a month. Why is that? Because the gospel inspires us to live out deep, life transforming, robust fellowship with other believers. The gospel inspires us to live out deep, life transforming, robust fellowship with other believers. There was a preacher who lived in London during World War II, and he would talk about how um, you know, there were soldiers from all over the world who would come and attend his services, and they were stationed in London because of the war, right? And so he would do his service, he would preach his sermon, and afterward, he would make himself available in his study to the people in his congregation. And the soldiers from all over the world, they would come, and they would meet with him in his study. And this is what he said about them. He said, they knew me, and I knew them. There was a commonality between us that was deeper than national ties, deeper than racial ties, deeper than biological ties, deeper than political ties. They were strangers, but they could immediately fellowship. What brought them together was more powerful than what would keep them apart. The same preacher said this, even though I had grown up wealthy and I had been highly educated... I realized after I began to minister in a little town in Wales that I would rather talk about the Lord all day with the humblest old fisherwoman than to sit at a club with my social peers who don't, who don't know Jesus. I feel a oneness with people who are not from my class at all. So the preacher was experiencing fellowship and it rocked his world. People from all over became brothers. Brothers. People who had vastly different life experience from him became sisters. There was a powerful commonality connecting them. It's because the gospel inspires us to live out deep, life-transforming, robust fellowship with other believers. So we've established that that the gospel inspired a kind of fellowship that was financially uh, uh, generous, right? Right? And and it, it inspired a kind of fellowship that was relationally inclusive. Now let's go on to verses 46 and 47 and see what else we can find out about their fellowship. Verse 46, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So going with my uh, theme from earlier, what's shocking about these verses? Well, it says day by day, which means every day. Repeat after me. Every Every day. In the temple and in the homes. Every day. Who's got time for that? How'd they take their kids to soccer practice? When did they watch the Browns? When do they watch YouTube videos or or TV shows or get groceries? Who has time to be in large group gathering at the temple and in the homes every stinking day? These people did. Well, the example that Jesus had given his disciples was that they lived together 24-7 for three years. And so the disciples assumed, well, if we're going to do fellowship, if we're going to disciple a bunch of 3,000 new believers, we need to be together a lot. That's just their default assumption. That's what fellowship looks like. We're together a lot. We're together very regularly. Tim Keller says this. He says they couldn't get enough of each other. Regular life was seen as an interruption. Regular life was seen as an interruption because fellowship was more important. Lest you think that they were insular, right? Pastor Matt mentioned that last week that we don't want our fellowship to be insular, to just be focused on each other. Right. Look at verse 47, and the Lord added to their number every day. So they're meeting together every day, and yet at the same time, there is shining their light that is also happening, and the Lord is adding to their number. That's the result of them gathering that often. What else can we find out from this passage? Well, verse 47 says they praised God together. They were godwardly focused. So they're not just getting together and like playing Monopoly They're not just getting together and like, you know, finding out about each other's backstory and talking about random things, right? Just they're like totally focused on each other. No, they were godwardly focused. They were praising God together. And that's a description of what fellowship can and should be, helping each other praise God, helping each other remember the gospel, helping each other reorient our lives to make sense in light of praising God, to make sense in light of what God has done for us. They were helping each other praise God. You know, it's a lot easier to forgive when we're focused on praising God. It's a lot easier to get over that awkward hump and share our faith when we're focused on praising God. It's easier to be there for someone who's suffering and to assure them that our God is big and our God is working and our God cares about them if we are focused on praising God. And so they get together and they help each other, praise God. They help each other remember the gospel. Now for this to work, you can't just do that a couple times a month. And that's not what they did. It's because the gospel inspires us to live out deep, life-transforming, robust fellowship with other believers. Church, Jesus called us to something right before he left he gave one summary statement okay just in case you you know need a review before the quiz this is what i want you to know make disciples not come to church a couple times a month that's what research says most folks are doing these days in the us no that's not what he said he didn't say come to church sometimes no he said make disciples And I believe when he said that, he had in mind the way he made disciples, which was through robust fellowship. He called us to make disciples the same way he made them, by engaging in fellowship that was financially generous, relationally inclusive, time-intensive, praise-focused. I could say more about what this fellowship looked like. The point is, it was robust. It was all-inclusive. It was way more than occasional Sunday morning attendance. And it's not a coincidence that the way Jesus uh, trained his disciples and the way the disciples set up the early church look very similar. And they involve a definition of fellowship that doesn't always line up with what we think of when we think of fellowship. The gospel inspires us to live out deep Life transforming, robust fellowship. So here's my question for you Do you have early church style fellowship in your life? Are you pursuing early church style fellowship in your life? one of the points of or one of the, one of the things that a pastor has to do is is explain the scripture and then explain the application, the implications of that scripture. And so because I love you and because this is my job, I'm going to say something pointy now. You ready for my pointy sentence? Fellowship is a great gift that God wants you to have. It's also not optional. It's also not optional. If if Jesus and the disciples needed it, so do you. If the early church needed it, so do you. So do I. This is the model that he set out, and it is not a coincidence that when we look at the early church, they did what Jesus had done with them. It was deep. It was life-transforming. It was robust. It was generous. It was relationally inclusive. It was time-intensive. It was praise-focused. It was so much more than the occasional potluck, or Sunday morning service. Real fellowship takes more commitment than that. It's like everything else in life that, where what you put into it determines what you get out of it. You know, before COVID, we had 60% of our church in life groups, and we've never been able to get back to that number. I want to see us exceed that number today. I'm going to put a QR code up on the screen, and if you aren't in a life group, I want you to scan it. If you're a a phone person, I want you to scan the QR code. You can do it right now while I'm talking. I won't be offended. By the end of today, I want us to be above 60% because your uh, community needs you, and you need your community. how will you respond to the model of fellowship that the early church and Jesus have modeled for us? If you're already in a life group, good on you. I challenge you to continue to pursue fellowship in that group. But if you're not, I challenge you to join one. Remember what Keller said, regular life was seen as an interruption. This was more important. It's not optional. If Jesus and the early church and the disciples needed it, so do we. I recognize that life groups aren't a perfect way to pursue that kind of fellowship, but they are a way. They are the best tool that we have to try and pursue that kind of fellowship. Charles Spurgeon used to tell a story. He said, I got up and I and I gave an evangelistic sermon and after that sermon, uh, a woman came up to me and she said, "I don't like the way that you share the gospel." To which he responded, "When was the last time that you shared the gospel?" And she said, "I haven't." And he said, "I submit to you that my way of sharing the gospel is better than yours." Doing something is better than doing nothing. Life groups are something. They're something. It's a step in the right direction. So if you're not in one, I challenge you today, by the end of today, to join one, if you're a phone person. If you're not a phone person, you can call our office and they'll help you. First thing on Monday morning. Fellowship is not optional. There's a reason why this was included in Scripture. It's supposed to be instructive for us. And in fact, there are several passages in the book of Acts that reiterate the same themes that this passage reiterates. That fellowship was meant to be deep, life-transforming, robust. So how will you respond to the example of fellowship that Jesus and the early church handed down to us? I believe if you'll uh, take the step to invest in that kind of fellowship, the benefits will outweigh the costs because the gospel inspires us to live out deep, life-transforming, robust fellowship with other believers. I invite you to take a step of faith and join a life group if you're not in one. Do that today. Let's pray. Lord, I know that um, it can be a little weird being challenged to do something you don't want to (laughs) do. I know that uh, we're all busy. I also know that our community needs us to be givers, contributors to the fellowship of Victory Life Church. I know that we need to be part of that fellowship. And so, Lord, as we consider what we need to do to obey your word, I pray that you would give us courage. Pray that you would give us conviction. Pray that we would respond to the example that you gave us. And that the results that people are being added to the church every day would apply in our case as well. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, we would love to have you come back and join us next week as we continue to explore this topic of doing life together. Uh, But for now, have a great day. God bless.